The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. It's time for a toilet revolution. No, I'm not just talking about bidets. Our wastewater systems are dangerously out of date, but sustainable innovations could be just around the U-Bend. Plus, the future of contact lenses is bright, or not if you preferred they block the sun. And Apple dropped a very pandemic-themed update to their emojis. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Of the many changes we're likely to see from the pandemic, hopefully our toilets will be one of them. And not just an increased usage in bidets, although that would probably be a good thing, but a total overhaul of the system. Like so much else, the pandemic has revealed a lot of pain points related to our toilets and sewage systems. Chelsea Ward, a science and environmental journalist and author of the new book Pipe Dreams, The Urgent Global Quest to Transform the Toilet, explained the situation in Wired, noting first that the technology behind the systems we use were developed over a century ago, when the world was a much different place with much different challenges. And it's not just the tech and concepts that are outdated. The actual hardware is, too. A lot of our wastewater infrastructure here in the United States is on its last breath, and the funding to replace or properly maintain it just hasn't been there. But on top of that, the sanitation workforce is also on the precipice of the silver tsunami, the retirements of a large portion of the sanitation sector, a sector that hasn't seen a decent enough influx of younger workers. Wald elaborates in Wired, quote, Evidence of our failing systems is all around us. Combined sewers, a flawed design still common in many cities with older systems, overflow during rainfalls, releasing potentially infectious pathogens into waterways, along with the trash, nutrients, chemicals, and pharmaceuticals that make it into our sewers. Failing septic tanks contaminate soil and groundwater, and wet wipes and other trash, on a dramatic rise since the pandemic, create enormous clogs that lead to sewage backups. Extreme events, driven in part by climate change, tax these systems even further. In the past year, major flooding from Tennessee to Australia left residents awash in sewage-contaminated waters. In August, a series of unlikely power failures during a major heat wave in California caused a wastewater treatment plant to spill 50,000 gallons of raw and partially treated sewage into the Oakland estuary, just when people would have wanted to take a dip and open their windows to cool off. In February 2021, Texas got blasted with cold, leaving people without running taps and heat for days. One hospital trucked in water just for the purpose of flushing toilets. Inmates in prisons and jails endured days of filth. And not only do conventional wastewater systems fail, they're too often absent. More than half of the world's population doesn't have safely managed sanitation, in which their poop makes it to treatment. That includes an estimated 2 million Americans who don't have complete plumbing, which leads directly to health conditions ranging from skin rashes to diarrhea to hookworm, and indirectly to many other kinds of illness and suffering. End quote. 
And the pandemic shone a brighter light on limited access to public toilets, which disproportionately affects people who are unhoused, as well as the elderly, pregnant, and those with various medical conditions. So what the heck is the solution here? Well, fortunately, there are a lot of potential solutions. Wald sums them up as the need to rebuild conventional infrastructure and adopt more recent innovations and encourage other new innovations, all with the goal of healthier, more sustainable, more equitable toilets. With some federal funding that does seem to be coming from the Biden administration's infrastructure bill, Wald suggests the following could happen. Quote, Where centralized infrastructure already exists, cities can use both established and new tools to mine sewage for heat, water, nutrients, chemicals, and precious metals, as well as for biogas and other forms of fuel far more than they already do. Digital sensors suited for the harsh sewer environment can help overtaxed systems use pipes more intelligently and reduce spills. Novel installations can pull used toilet paper out of sewage streams before it gets to treatment and recycle it into cellulose, a raw material with broad applications, or even valuable industrial chemicals. With the right tools, even fatbergs, congealed masses of trash that cause damaging and expensive sewer clogs, can become biofuel thanks to the oils, fats, and grease in them, although it would be better for people to stop flushing wipes and disposing of oils down drains altogether." End quote. There are a ton of other possible innovations that have been proposed or are being worked on, like systems that treat toilet waste and reuse water on site, sanitation pickup services, and urine-diverting toilets, which Wald compares to recycling bins because they separate the high-nutrient, low-pathogen urine from feces and water. In addition to hitting the goals of being healthy, sustainable, and equitable, solutions like these actively create resources, could adapt with or withstand extreme events, and would be great job creators, specifically creating jobs for younger folks interested in environmental justice. Of course, in addition to funding and government backing, these innovations will also likely require a bit of a mindset shift from many of us. We're probably going to see our bathroom habits change in the name of sustainability in some ways at some point in our future, so it's time to start getting used to that idea now. And remember a while back on the show how I mentioned that some cities have been analyzing sewage for signs of coronavirus to predict outbreaks? That's not a trait unique to COVID-19. Tons of information can be gleaned from stool samples, which, when you think about it, is basically what sewage is, a big collective stool sample. And Wald thinks we may see medical toilets in the future, which would notify us when we become infected with something. In fact, at least one already exists on the market for seniors. It's called True Lou. And I like this headline from 1-0 about the product, quote, Smart toilets are revealing health data that wearables can't, end quote. And as for access to public restrooms, there are a number of designs being trialed in various cities for freestanding, modular public restrooms, and other cities like London and Washington, D.C. have also considered implementing programs which would pay businesses to open their bathrooms to the public. And I know, at least here in New York City, a place notorious for its lack of public restrooms, the push for more of them has heightened exponentially throughout the pandemic, as businesses closed or didn't allow people to go inside. So there's a lot that needs to be done, but fortunately, a lot of smart people coming up with solutions, and hopefully the pandemic has shown enough people how dire the situation is that some of those solutions might even get the backing they need to be implemented. Talking about toilets will never be a super popular topic, but as Wald says, quote, 
Nearly every human drama comes with a toilet aspect, whether we want to talk about it or not. End quote. There is a ton happening right now in the world of contact lenses, some of it related to improving standard contact lenses and imbuing them with new medical features, and others that sound like something straight out of a sci-fi novel. Starting with the medical side of things. Bishak Rout, writing in The Conversation, shared how researchers at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology are working on a contact lens that would continuously monitor the change in pressure within your eyeballs, or your intraocular pressure, and then would release the necessary drugs as treatments. This is specifically designed with glaucoma patients in mind. The team has already developed a prototype and a similar device, which just measures the pressure and delivers reports to a portable recorder worn by the patient, has already received regular approval here in the U.S. and in Japan. There's also already transition lens versions of contact lenses on the market, which, you know, act like sunglasses when you walk into the sunlight, which blows my mind enough. But a startup in California called Mojo Vision is working on contact lenses with built-in LCD displays to show things like directions, phone notifications, basically everything Google Glass was trying to do, but, you know, in your eye. So both less nerdy and obvious looking, but also kind of horrifying, at least to me. I still need to get used to this idea. And, you know, it's not without concerns. Quoting the conversation, Thanks to the ubiquity of electronic devices, we are currently living in a world constantly bathed in electromagnetic radiation. Although a clear consensus is absent, studies have pointed out that exposure to electromagnetic radiation could possibly induce some effects in human tissue. Engineers in South Korea have applied a layer of graphene to contact lenses to help shield the eyes from electromagnetic radiation. The thin graphene layer also reduces dehydration. End quote. And elements like those graphene layers or the nano-sized polymer films like Route is working on is where some of the biggest and most complicated work is being done right now on contact lenses. Even though Route teases the potential that we could soon use contact lenses to zoom in on things, it's important that a lot of the less exciting elements of comfort and safety get hammered out first. And I'm still not sure how I feel about a world where there's no way to know if someone is, like, accessing a bunch of information about you online via their contact lenses while you're having a conversation with them. But the advancements in the science and technology behind it is definitely fascinating. Apple is trying to do their part for vaccine awareness by redesigning an emoji. If you're an iPhone user and update to iOS 14.5, in addition to a slew of emojis with more skin tones and gender expressions, as well as added helmets for the rock climbing emojis and a super metal heart on fire, you'll also notice that the syringe emoji has a new look. Now, I, for one, am super excited about this change. Whether it's discussing flu shots or other medical interventions, I have often been annoyed that the only emoji that looks like a shot also looks kind of grim, with a barrel full of blood and two big globs of blood dripping down. It's always struck me as needlessly graphic. Well, it turns out the reason for all the blood is because the syringe, one of the original emojis from 1999, was intended to represent blood donation. So that makes sense now that I hear it, and I guess that means that this particular emoji's purpose has always been in service of public health, which is cool. 
But I am not the only one who has refrained from using it due to its bloody appearance. Emojipedia, an emoji reference site and my personal favorite online resource, which also tracks emoji usage in public social media posts, notes that while they did see a spike in usage of the syringe emoji when vaccines started being announced, its usage still pales in comparison to other emojis that have been popular during the pandemic. The face with a mask emoji is used twice as often as the syringe one. Recognizing the hesitancy many people have using a bloody syringe to celebrate a happy moment of inoculation, Apple has officially nixed the blood and replaced it with a perfectly inoffensive light blue liquid. That's just on Apple, though, so if you're receiving the emoji on an Android via WhatsApp or viewing it on Twitter or Facebook, it will look a bit different. Google, Samsung, Microsoft, WhatsApp, Facebook, and Mozilla all still feature a blood-filled and dripping syringe, although some of them are working on updating that. Twitter's is already updated to a clear syringe. HTC's version of the emoji is actually filled with a green liquid, evoking a kind of mutant superhero serum, which is actually what used to be standard on Google and Facebook at some point. But with this change to the syringe emoji, I think we're going to see a big jump in its usage and probably a similar popularity for a lot of the other new emojis in this iOS drop. The three new face emojis feature one with its head in the clouds, kind of reminiscent of the brain fog so many have experienced throughout the pandemic, especially from long COVID, as well as an exhaling face that looks out of breath, and a face with spiral eyes that really just seems to evoke how a lot of us feel right now. There's also a heart mended up with bandages, which also feels super relevant in a time of healing and recognizing the hard work of healthcare professionals. And emoji usage in general has changed during the pandemic, and not just in how it's generally increased as people spend more time online. Quoting Wired, For the first time this month, the most popular emoji on Twitter was not the crying laughing emoji, but the mouth agape tears streaming overwhelmed with either anguish or relief emoji in a way that can only be described as a pandemic mood. The microbe emoji became synonymous with the novel coronavirus and saw its highest usage ever last year. Symbols like the masked face surged on social media over the spring and summer as public health officials urged mask use in real life. Other emoji, like the airplane, were hardly used at all. End quote. What a poetic set of data it would be if emoji usage of the now translucent syringe overtakes the microbe. And yeah, I know, it's entirely possible that I am one of the only people who cares this much about the evolution and variance of emojis, but on the off chance that you want to hear even more and you missed it before, go back and check out the January 14th episode of this show in which I share how emojis in this latest drop got Frankenstein together when the pandemic threatened to cancel any new emoji creation by Unicode. Link to that episode in the show notes. Well, I told you the flood of Great Gatsby adaptations would be coming now that the F. Scott Fitzgerald novel is officially in the public domain, and today it was announced that Florence Welsh of the band Florence and the Machine is writing a musical version of The Great Gatsby. She'll supply the lyrics and work with Thomas Bartlett on the music while Pulitzer Prize winner Martina Mayock writes the book. There's no public timeline yet, but the project is eyeing a Broadway run, so keep an eye out for that. And speaking of 
of classics, Citizen Kane, which was long the number one movie on Rotten Tomatoes with a 100% fresh rating, got knocked down a peg recently when the site added an 80-year-old negative review of the film from the Chicago Tribune. The review came from the collective pseudonym used by the Tribune's critics back then, May Tenay, Matinee, haha. Uh, and basically, the review said that the movie was overhyped, a bit too eccentric, and too eerie. So, with Citizen Kane knocked off its post 1934 film, It Happened One Night now sits at the top of Rotten Tomatoes' top 100 movies of all time list. But interestingly, because Rotten Tomatoes uses a weighted system for the top 100 list, Citizen Kane got moved all the way down to number three, just behind Black Panther. In part because Black Panther has nearly five times as many reviews as Citizen Kane, even though it has just a 96% fresh rating compared to Citizen Citizen Kane's now 99. There's actually a few movies that have 100% ratings, but they're way down the list, again due to that weighted system. Movies like the 1940 adaptation of the Daphne du Maurier novel Rebecca, and the equally sophisticated Paddington 2. No word on why Rotten Tomatoes, or whoever, I guess, added this old review, and if the intention was to knock Citizen Kane down a peg or just be thorough, but I'm sure it's in part due to a renewed interest in the film following all the Oscar nominations for David Fincher's Mank about the writing of Citizen Kane. You know, it would be kind of cool to go through the archives and start uploading old film reviews of all kinds of old films just to see what would happen with that system. Just an idea if any of you are bored. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.